Amen. Thank you, worship team. How are we doing this morning? Beautiful day. I don't think many of us should have any excuses not to be a little bit happy. I mean, it's Georgia is just kind of like this with weather. So if the pass is any demonstration, I think tomorrow I wouldn't be surprised if it was snowing. Um, kind of like Kentucky in that way. If you want to open your Bibles to John chapter 2, verses 13 through 22. John chapter 2, verses 13 through 22. I must be getting older because I talk about the weather more. I used to make fun of old people talking about the weather all the time. Now I'm doing it. So My wife says I'm like the king of small talk, which I don't... Some people may agree with that, I don't, I don't know. Um... If you want to stand for the reading of God's Word, out of reverence for God's Word. These are the Holy Scriptures authored by the Apostle John through the Holy Spirit, in the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit says, The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken forty-six years to build this temple. And will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Let's pray. Father, You are Lord of life. You are the life and the resurrection. You conquered death in Jesus. And while these Jews had no idea what Your Son was talking about, we today can stand in awe of what You did at Calvary. Taking our punishment, paying our debt, but not simply reconciling us. You gave us new life by Jesus giving His. Father, that is cause for celebration. This morning, open our eyes to this text. Show us what it means to be zealous for the holiness of God. Show us what it means to have holy love. And all these things we ask in your precious Son's name. Amen. Growing up, my, my mom... How many people grew up with pictures of Jesus in their house? Somewhere. Right. We had one. Um, it's, not a, it's not just a catholic thing. Tons of people have Jesus in their home somewhere. Uh, my mom had a picture of Jesus in the hallway right as you turned in to go to the refrigerator. 
And I'd always walk by, and it was kind of like, um, you ever watch Scooby-Doo, and they just had like eyes that used to like follow you? It was kind of like that. Growing up, the picture kind of creeped me out. It looked like Jesus was like following you the whole time. Um, I'd wake up, middle of the night, get out of bed, go raid some Oreos, and there was Jesus like just staring into your soul like, your mom may not know what you're doing, I know what you're doing. And so that I think that's the picture of Jesus most of us have is this solemn, angelic, stoic Jesus. That's not the Jesus here. That's not the Jesus we see in this text. We have to come to grips with the fact that not only was Jesus angry toward these merchants and money changers, it wasn't some impulsive, spur-of-the-moment anger. Verse 15 says it was premeditated. Jesus actually took the time to make a whip of cords. I mean, Jesus wasn't just rolling around with a whip in the back. He wasn't Indiana Jones. He, he had to make this thing, and then He went into the temple and drove them out. And it says that He not only made a whip of cords, He not only... I don't, know, I, mean, I don't know what He did. But He turned over the tables and actually emptied the money. Jesus the Son of God did that. Not the picture of Jesus that my mom had on her hallway. We don't see Jesus like this very often in the Scriptures, but as Jesus is the holy and blameless divine Son of God, we know and we should believe that Jesus' anger was righteous. Jesus' anger was pure. Dare I say, Jesus' anger was good, if there is such a thing. So what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to ask one question of the text this morning. And then we're going to draw out three truths. The question I'm going to ask of the, of the text this morning was, why was Jesus angry? That's what I'm going to seek to, to, to answer this morning. And I've come up with three things. Why was Jesus angry? One, Jesus was zealous for the holiness of God. Number two, Jesus was zealous for the salvation of the Gentiles. Number three, Jesus was zealous to show His people how to worship. Verse 13, the Passover of the Jews was at hand and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So Jesus goes to Jerusalem three times in the book of John, which is why most scholars believe that His public ministry lasted about three years. Okay, I don't know if you've ever heard, but most people believe that Jesus died when He was 33. His public ministry uh, started when He was roughly 30. They gauge that by how many trips he, he made to Jerusalem, how many yearly trips. Now, this is his first trip to Jerusalem. The Passover was, of course, the, the biggest feast uh, on the Jewish calendar. It's one of three annual feasts that all Jewish men were expected to attend in Jerusalem. John says that they, quote-unquote, went up to Jerusalem. For anyone who's been to Jerusalem, matter of fact, my, my parents are there today, Jerusalem is an elevated city. It's the capital. So they, anyone who goes up, they, they're actually walking up to Jerusalem. They're traveling from Galilee. And it says that Jesus has some people with Him. But what Jesus finds is probably not too unlike what Martin Luther found when he came to Rome. The temple, the symbol of Jewish and national religious identity, the house of God, the very picture of God's holiness, is flooded with merchants, money changers, businessmen. Verse 14, in the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons 
and the money changers sitting there. So instead of finding a place of worship in the city of David, Jesus finds that they've turned the temple into a kind of religious farmer's market. It's loud. There's money everywhere. It probably stinks of livestock. And what Jesus does next can only be described as bold. Verse 15. And making a whip of cords... Just imagine that, a whip of cords. He drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. Picture that. He drives them out with a whip, he pours out their money, and he overturns their tables. I mean, just as shocking as the whip of cords is to me. I mean, think about today, you've got to have some kind of cash register or a little money thing. I mean, he takes that and dumps it. I don't know if they were like on the ground trying to get it or he was like, just get out! But whatever happened, I mean, I, I, it lead me to think that he knew what they cared about. So he dumps the money. Jesus is angry. The question is why? In this instance, it has a lot more to do than just money. This isn't Jesus, you know, I've heard people say, well, you know, Jesus believed in Communism. You know, he was he was against capitalism. I don't think that's what it is. I mean, he's there. Obviously, greed, human greed, is a part of this. But Jesus was zealous for the holiness of God. Verses sixteen through seventeen, and he told those who sold the pigeons, "Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade." His disciples remembered that it was written, "Zeal for your house will consume me." Jesus's fury is unleashed on these men. But the reason it's personal for Jesus is that they've seriously offended the Father. Since it's the Passover, these merchants are seizing at the opportunity to make money from sacrificial offerings. The cattle and the sheep were needed for offerings. Doves were required for the purification of women and the cleansing of those who had skin diseases. What really sticks in Jesus' crawl here is not that it's simply greed. It's the complete desecrating of something that's specifically designed for God's holiness, and that's the temple. Jesus loved the world so much that He was willing to die an unspeakably gruesome death to save us from our sins. But Jesus, make no mistake, is just as zealous for God's holiness as He is for God's love. Jonathan Edwards said this in The Religious Affections, A true love to God begins with a delight in His holiness, for no other attribute is truly lovely without this. What Jesus is showing us here in this text is, to love God truly is to love His holiness. To love God's grace is to love His holiness. I think today we have a conception of holiness as um, someone, something, someone telling you that you're not supposed to do something. Or holiness is something that's really stark and austere and something that you don't really want to be around or it's white hot. And it is those things. But holiness is something that Jesus delights in and he sees it's being defiled here in the temple. So much so he loves God's holiness and, 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 and treats it with so much respect and so much awe that he drives them out of the temple. And you know, we could be looking at this and be like, wow, dang. Jesus is like, I mean, doesn't seem very Jesus-like here. But what we're, we're witnessing here is the Son's love for the Father. 
The disciples remembered Psalm 69, 9. Zeal for your house will consume me. But that's not the entire verse. If you actually look at Psalm 69, 9, read it in the Old Testament, it says, Zeal for your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproached you have fallen on me. So that's, that's, that's substitution in the Old Testament. So Christ loves the holiness of the Father so much that He's not only willing to drive out greedy merchants from the temple, He was willing to give His own life as a substitute in order to respect the holiness of the Father. Jesus is zealous for the holiness of God. And so you, you, you read this and you're kind of like, it sounds like Jesus is having a bad day. I mean, I just I, I, I brought all my friends, we're here at the festival, and now I just... But this isn't Jesus in a grumpy mood. Jesus' love for the Father is just as intimate here in John chapter 2 as it is in John chapter 17 in the high priestly prayer. I was thinking, every good, I love reading biographies, every good biographer loves character irony. Uh, A seeming flaw in someone's personality or character that's at odds with the rest of who they are. King David, the man after God's own heart, has an affair and sends a man to be murdered. Martin Luther, the man who taught us grace, had horrible things about the Jews and almost wanted to sanction murdering Jews. Thomas Jefferson, the man who told us the, told the world all men are created equal, owned slaves. I mean, you, you look at history and you're going, I mean, history is full of character ironies. To be a sinner is to be a hypocrite. Y'all. We are two-faced, double-minded people. That's what happens when we're subjected to sin. That is our condition. We're duplicitous. From the very beginning in the garden, sin was synonymous with deceit. But in Christ Jesus, there is no character irony. There is no deceit. There is no duplicity. This cleansing in the temple, this is not a moment of weakness. This is not us finally catching Jesus on a bad day. In this passage, Jesus is just as wise, just as holy, just as good as He is on the Sermon on the Mount. In Jesus' anger, we catch a glimpse of the righteous judgment that rightly falls on sin and for those who besmirch the holiness of God. I mean, it's just like the law and sin. When the law convicts and condemns and and kills sin, it's not the law that is bad. The law is actually doing a very good thing by killing a very bad thing. Jesus is zealous for the holiness of God. Jesus says, take these things away. My Father's house is not a house of trade. The temple is the most holy place under the Old Covenant. And these people are treating it as if it's common and mundane. And make no mistake, that kindles the anger of our God. When we use the name Jesus Christ in vain, and we treat that holy name as if it were common, that kindles the anger of our God. When we we turn church worship into a product of American consumerism, instead of bowing humbly and praising and adoring and glorifying the living God, that kindles the anger of our God. When we treat the church like it's just one more commitment next to baseball and PTA meetings, that kindles the anger of our God. We dare not call what is holy mundane. 
Jesus is zealous for the holiness of God because God the Father is zealous for His own holiness. And we see that in the Gospel where God is willing to forgive sinners, but not without someone paying in blood. So, number two, why was Jesus angry? Because Jesus was zealous for the salvation of the Gentiles. There's something else going on here besides greedy men treating the temple as if it were a farmer's market. This isn't so much just about what, it's about the where. In Matthew chapter 21, Matthew actually gives a slightly different account of what's taking place here, but he uses another Old Testament prophecy. Verse 13 in Matthew chapter 21, he says this, He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers, thieves. So that's a little different than John's account. This is a quote from Russell Moore, the president of the Ethics and Religious Liberties Commission for the Southern Baptist Convention. This is, this is what he describes the scene there. We see perhaps the most angry picture of Jesus in his earthly ministry at the temple when he took up a whip of cords and drew the sellers out of the holy place. Why was Jesus so angered? After all, the money changers were there to do a service for those offering sacrifice. He told us why. It is not written, my house, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, Jesus said, but you have made it a den of robbers. The passage Jesus cites is from the prophet Isaiah's vision of the day when the foreigners, those of all the nations, will be brought into the people of God. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people, Isaiah said. And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. In some way, those who were clamored for space in the temple courts were blocking the way out of those who God had called in to His house of prayer. Jesus reclaimed the space for the God who desires all tongues and tribes and nations to worship Him through Jesus Christ. The religious leaders and those keeping the worship of God from the nations had something in common. Both were seeking to keep people away from the kingdom of God, people they didn't feel were worthy of it. Jesus plowed through their barriers and kept plowing even after His resurrection from the dead. Now what does that mean? Well, according to Isaiah, God wants His house to become a house of prayer for all nations. Not just Israel. So by selling sacrificial animals and setting up currency exchanges inside the court of the Gentiles... These men were effectively blocking any possibility for Gentiles to come and worship. See, that was never never taught to me, that part. So this isn't just Jesus expressing His disfavor at greed. This is Jesus unleashing His holy fury at people who have prejudice against Gentiles. Believe it or not, there was a great commission in the Old Testament. Isaiah, Jonah, those are just examples of God's heart for the nations even under the Old Covenant. God's heart for the nations was that they would come in and come to Jerusalem and that His house would be a house for all nations. That was His design. And these men are trying to make profit in the only place designed for Gentiles to come. Jesus is jealous for the salvation of the Gentiles. And He would not entertain any obstacle or obstruction for people trying to come in. And if Jesus' anger was kindled over the worship of Gentiles, you better believe that He values whether we make a space for people to come into our church. 
Do we park in the closest parking spaces and make other guests walk farther? Do we treat our first-time guests like strangers and not talk to them? Do we make it difficult for people who don't know anyone in our church to walk in and find a place to sit and fit in? Or do we welcome them, make a space for them, and invite them into our church? That's what Jesus wants. Jesus is zealous for the salvation of the Gentiles. You know, our door has been fixed. I I thought our door was fixed. It was fixed. Gene fixed it, and then... The other guys from downtown came and fixed it, and now it's... Did you see it? It was fixed last week, and I was like, oh, the guys from downtown did it. The guys from downtown didn't do it. Gene did it. Then the guys were like, Gene said it was, a, it was, a, it was a kind of a temporary fix. So the other guys were like, well, we'll fix it permanently. Now it doesn't work. <laughs> and the reason I bring that up is I was thinking to myself this week as I read through the text, if Jesus was that passionate about making room for Gentiles to come and worship. The least we can do is make sure our front door works. So thank you, Gene. Why was Jesus angry? Third, Jesus was zealous to show His people how to worship. Verses 18-22. through So the Jews said to Him, What sign do you show us from doing these things? And Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the Scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. So Jesus gets down throwing down the gauntlet, like WWE style, and just says, Everybody get out. And then these guys are like, okay, I'm Matt, you're apparently someone important. Show us a sign. And what Jesus says next is not only a sign, it's the sign. He's speaking of His own death and resurrection. Verse 21, He was speaking about the temple of His own body. This morning at the very beginning of the service, I read from Ezekiel 43 about the glory of the Lord filling the temple. And the reason I read that is because that's Ezekiel's vision for the new temple. In the Old Testament, there was an expectation that God would come and establish a new temple in the Messianic age. And Jesus is like, I am the Holy of Holies. They don't get that. When Jesus says that He would destroy the temple and raise it in three days, He's pointing symbolically to a new reality, which is that by His death and resurrection, Jesus will replace the temple, as the center of life and worship for His people. Today, because I'm in Christ, Robert Washington and I were actually talking about this Wednesday night. It's kind of like what he told the woman at the well. It's no longer about the where, it's not even about the when. It's about the who. They don't get that. Today, because Abitad is a... because I'm found in Christ, I don't need a temple to worship God. I think that a lot of people, you know, they say that Easter is like the one day of the year where people just flock to churches. And that's a good thing, I think. But in my experience, a lot of people today still think that these four walls contain more of God's holiness than outside. 
That's why I hesitate sometimes to call our church a sanctuary. Well, one, it's, it's also kind of weird because this place is not very sanctuary-esque. But the reason I hesitate is because I don't want to give people the, the indication that they think that there's more holiness here than outside. It's an Old Testament term. Because of the new covenant inaugurated by Jesus' death, I can worship by the Spirit, the very same Spirit that rose Jesus from the grave. I can worship by the Spirit of God wherever, whenever I want. The new covenant. Jeremiah chapter 32, verses 37 through 41. Behold, I will gather from them all the countries to which I drove them in my anger and my wrath and my indignation. I will bring them back to this place. And I will dwell with them in safety. But they shall be my people and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing them good. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing them good and I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. I mean, that just, that just almost gives me chills just when, when God says, I will not turn away from doing them good. God's desire is to do you good. And he, he delivered His Son Jesus and Jesus was crucified on the cross so that God could pour out all of His goodness on us. The new covenant gives me such joy because now I get to worship God without being in a particular place. We can commune with God, experience Him, pray to Him, find joy in Him, put our faith in Him, be found in Him, because now we have a mediator who intercedes for us on God's behalf, on our behalf, going into the Holy of Holies. I think most people today understand that we're temples of the Holy Spirit. But let's not forget, the only reason that I am a temple of the Holy Spirit today is because the living God came and dwelt bodily in the temple of Jesus Christ first. I love verse 22. When therefore He was raised from the dead, His disciples remembered that He had said this, and they believed the Scripture and the Word that Jesus had spoken. So the disciples were like, oh wait, that's what He meant. You know, One of my prayers for this church is that we would never cease to marvel at the truth that the temple of God in Christ was destroyed so that we could be living temples and dwell by the Holy Spirit. I wanted to end this sermon this morning with a question. I, I get this question sometimes, and I ask this question to myself sometimes. If Jesus could have righteous anger, can Abi Todd have righteous anger? Have you ever thought about that? You know, if you're like me, you're very fleshly, but the Spirit of God is working Himself in you. And I get angry, and then I'll, after the fact I'll go, was that, was that sinful anger or was it righteous anger? Right? Raise your hand if you've ever been angry. I'm kidding. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 says, Be angry and do not sin. Did you catch that? So that means there is a kind of anger that does not lead to sin. We're looking at it in John 2. But the, the thing for me is, Jesus was not a sinner. His flesh was weak, and He was subject to the forces of sin. But He was not sinful. 
Therefore, it is much different for us, even as born-again believers, to maintain a godly anger that's not polluted and tainted with sin. That's a standard high. I've, I've, I've looked at people getting angry and they're like, well, it was a righteous anger. And I'm like, eh, it didn't look very righteous to me. But most importantly, verse 16, do not make my father's house. Father's house. There is no tighter, more intimate bond of union in the entire Bible, in the entire world, than the one that exists between God the Son and God the Father. And what we have to keep in mind is that Jesus' greatest joy and His greatest anger were both driven by a desire to honor the Father. Righteous anger is God-honoring, God-defending anger. Is that your anger? The problem with our anger is it's too often tainted with self. They hurt me. They offended me. He said this about me. She did this to me. Our anger is sinful because it's driven by a desire to vindicate ourselves and not God. That's why it's so hard to have righteous anger. I'm going to tell you all, I've probably only seen righteous anger a handful of times in my life. I'm willing to be corrected on that. You see, that we don't see self-driven anger here. Jesus is zealous for the holiness of the Father, my Father's house. In fact, Jesus is so zealous for the glory of the Father, He's willing to go to the cross for the Father. Think about this for a second. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, He wasn't angry. When Jesus was spit on and mocked, He wasn't angry. When Jesus was betrayed by His friend, He wasn't angry. But when the Father's house was sullied for the sake of greed and fortune, Jesus became angry. You ever thought about that? That's righteous anger. Which is why most of us, when we get angry, we should shut our mouths and we should go to the cross. Because that's exactly where Jesus went. The Gospel says, either be angry for God or give your anger to God. You know what's amazing about Jesus' anger? He went to the cross for the very same people He drove out of the temple. Does your anger look like that? The last time you were angry, are you willing to give your life for the person that you had an argument with? And then you tell me if it's righteous. Are we zealous for the holiness of God? Because the only way that we can answer that question with a yes is that we are also zealous for the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we're not zealous for the gospel, our anger is undoubtedly tainted with sin. As Christians, we are never allowed to entertain angry thoughts against another without also thinking about the anger of the Father poured out, on our sin, poured out for our sin onto Jesus. Either be angry for God, or give your anger to God. Stick it up there on that cross. Crucify it. This morning, if you're angry with someone or something, 
Put that anger on the cross and see how long it lasts. See if it stands right up there next to the love of Jesus. Come this morning and receive holy love because that's what the love of the gospel is. It is holy love. White hot. And so deep we'll never find the bottom. The gospel is where anger goes to die and it's where we go to die. So that we can be raised in life and be found in Christ. If you this morning are bearing that burden, and anger is a burden, do you not? Or is it not? It is the most soul-decaying, toxic thing you can carry with you. And Jesus carried with Him to the cross and said, let it be gone. That's the God we serve. That's the love that's there for you to receive it this morning. Let's pray. Father God, You poured Your wrath out on the Son. Because you loved us. Your anger and your love are not mutually contradicting because we see both your wrath and your love in the gospel. You are both holy and loving. Father, teach us to do the same. Teach us to be holy and loving. Show us the depths of your love and your holiness in Jesus. And any anger that we have left that resides in our hearts, Father, if it is not for You, if it is not to defend You, if it is not to vindicate Your name, if it is only to defend ourselves and vindicate us and stick up for our flesh and what we want, if it has anything to do with the self and nothing to do with You, Father, get rid of it. Show us what righteous anger is, Father, and lead us ultimately to the cross where your Son endured wrath so that we might have eternal life. And all these things we ask in your Son's name. Amen.